So he's got jokes. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> uh, thank you, Bruno, for doing that. Hey, you know, one thing he, at least I didn't hear him say, maybe he did say, um, I'm very excited about May 30th. May 30th, we're going to have a night of worship. So uh, looking forward to that. It's going to be a great time together um, in that evening. It's just going to be a night for us to worship together. So uh, looking forward to that time. Um, also, I want to make an announcement. This is really cool. Uh, I should have talked about it before, but I didn't get to, uh, didn't think about it last week. I don't know if you guys knew and if you follow along on any of my social media, you saw that this Thursday, our boys baseball team won the state title in baseball. How about that? Isn't that awesome? Yeah, it's uh, very excited for them, happy that they uh, won the baseball championship, which is, I got to tell you, it's crazy for a first time year, first year school uh, to win the state title in football and baseball, runner up in basketball, like our sports is just uh, doing so good. But it's more than sports, and uh, I'll talk about that later on. We have a thing coming up. Our, our academics are just great. We have good academics. Um, our we have just a couple of graduating this year, but they're graduating with over 20 credit hours of um, college each. And it's, I mean, it's just amazing. Our school is doing so, so well. And um, thank you guys for your support. It's almost over for this inaugural year. And, you know, we're, um, I guess it's sad that school's going to be over. All the kids wish they could go year round, but uh, we're just not going to let them. We're going to make them take a break over the summer. And um, I'm sure they're going to love that. But also, it, you know, it's not just our school. All the kids of all the schools, I know they look forward to the summer break. It's an exciting time for them to um, have a little time off. So, all right. Well, we're going to talk today about unoffendable. Unoffendable. I uh, have a confession. Our son still sleeps with us. <laughs> you know, parents don't like it when I say that. Because, you know, parents get all judgy. Uh, you guys, they say you need to keep them outside. Like, don't even look at them. Um, pay them no attention. That's, what, that's how you handle that. Uh, I'm just kidding. Our son doesn't sleep with us anymore. <laughs> uh, we don't let him do that. But, you know, we, we do. Uh, it is funny. When we had kids, uh, my wife was the one saying they will not sleep with us, first of all. Just so you know, they're not going to sleep with us. Um, and we are going to put them in their own room. And, but, honey, he's crying. I don't care. Let them stay out there. And uh, it's to the point now where they just, they don't want to sleep with us, really. Uh, because it's, it's a good thing because seriously, Caden, our nine-year-old, he doesn't know how to sleep. I don't know if, like, he doesn't sleep like a normal person, let me say that. Because, I, I mean, he has, there's been times where, you know, we're going to take a nap and he's being too loud, so he has to come and this is the time he gets lay in the bed. He doesn't like it, but he has to come lay in the bed. And then he goes to sleep. And he, he's like in a circle the whole time, just in a circle. And then he takes up, he can make the king size bed feel like a twin. You know what I mean? Like um, pushes us out. And uh, it's just a good thing. We have nightstands because I have a place to put my pillow uh, when he's sleeping with us, pillow on the nightstand. But uh, no, really, it's, it's funny. Speaking of being unoffendable, um, parents are judgy. Have you noticed? Like all the parents think they have the best way to be a parent. All the parents, they, they judge all the other parents. Because when I said my kid sleeps with me, some of you were like, oh no, he's one of those. He's one of those. His kids still sleep. We had friends. Their uh, freshmen in high school, no joke, would still come sleep in their room with the parents. And uh, we would tell them all the time, hey, you need to 
<laughs> he didn't like put that kid in his own room. I think it's time. But, you know, he still did. And they were like, he's our baby. He's okay. You know, you do you. Or phones. Man, parents get so judgy on phones. You know, like, do your kids have phones? No, they don't. You didn't get your kid a phone. There's that kid. There's those parents. And then there's the parents that are like, um, you already got your kid a phone? Like, I feel like I can't win. You know, your kid's so young and they all, you know, the kindergartner has a phone and then my, uh, you know, my 12-year-old said, well, I got a phone. I want a phone. My kindergartner has a phone. And um, parents are judging each other. We decided long ago, in all seriousness, that we would just leave the parenting to the parents. You know, if a parent tells us they're going to buy their kindergartner a phone, that's fine. If they tell us they're going to buy their senior in high school a phone, that's fine too. Like, you do you. You want your kids to sleep with you till they're senior in high school? Good. It doesn't matter to me. Like, you want to cut your kids' steak up when they're 20? I don't care. Like, like it's, it's your deal. You do what you're going to do. I do what I'm going to do. Can we just quit being so offended at each other about the way we do everything? And that's what we're talking about. What it looks like to be offended or unoffended, in fact. Man, that rain's coming down. Are you guys all glad you're inside? Isn't, isn't that awesome? Don't get distracted, please, by the rain. <laughs> Leave that to me. All right, so i just catch you up real quick. I won't take a lot of time because I got a story I'm going to tell. Um, we've been talking about what it means to be unoffended and unoffendable. And we, it's... Being offended plays such a big part of our lives. It, it really does. It's something that we all experience probably on a daily basis. This uh, desire, or maybe it's not even a desire, it's just something in us that causes us to be offended about something. The question is, how do we respond when we get angry? That's what we need to look at. How is it that we respond when we get angry? And we decided that really we just need to drop it. We just need to get over it. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could uh, be known as people who follow Jesus, as Christians? Wouldn't it be awesome if we were the least offendable people on the planet? If we could just decide that we are going to be unoffended. If we would just choose to not be offended. Uh, we also talked about the fact that we live in a broken society, that everybody is offended about everything and everybody is um, upset about different things and we just live in this broken society and we say all the time, I can't believe it. I can't believe they would act like that. I can't believe that they would lie to me. I can't believe. Maybe if we understood that people are uh, truly broken, we're just broken people. If we could come at it from that perspective, understand that we're broken, then we can marvel at the beauty that God produces in people. Rather than think that beauty is the way it should be, it should for a Christ follower, but if we could understand that we live in a broken place and marvel at the beauty that God produces. Um, also, we tend to take on uh, keepers of the kingdom, guardians of God, if you will. For some reason, we believe that anybody can tear down the kingdom of God, that just out of whatever, they're going to be able to tear it down and it's going to be destroyed. Well, that's not true. God does not need you to protect his kingdom. He doesn't need you to be offended when somebody comes against what his kingdom. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't talk to people about coming against. We shouldn't try to win people to the kingdom. We should. 
But the problem is, is we get offended about it. We get angry about it. We, we get upset about it. And then finally, last week, we talked about the dumpster diver pastor. You remember him? And we learned that we can all identify to that guy that we are obviously in our lives. We are busted. We are humiliated. We are crushed. But then we're forgiven. Jesus forgives us. Um, in fact, Jesus takes it a step further and he says, we're not as bad as the sinner. We're worse. He uses the example of the, the servant who would not forgive his fellow servant of the amount of money he owed. You remember that? He goes to the king first and the king says, uh, and he begs the king, forgive me for this debt and I'll do, let me pay it off. And the king, I'm paraphrasing, the king in, in the story in the scripture says, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll give you a break, you know, give you some time. And then he goes to somebody who owes him money and says, throw him in prison and beats him up or, to, you know, make sure that he pays me my money back. He just was, un, is the unmerciful servant. The story of the unmerciful servant. Jesus uses that to help us know that we're not better. We tend to be worse. So if we begin to understand that, that it is not our job to protect the kingdom, that we are worse, then we begin to see people differently and not be so easily offended, especially if we realize that we are worse than them. With only a couple of weeks left then, I want to talk to you today about waiting and injustice. Waiting and injustice. Now I'm going to tell you a very personal story. I didn't, uh, Warren Sarese said I was going to tell this, but you know, it's not like it's not on public record. So we have, uh, when I was a youth pastor, I was a youth pastor for uh, about 10 years, and I was in St. Louis for five years. Now I was youth pastor there in St. Louis five years. We had a great ministry, successful um, you know, we had a good-sized youth group and um, the church. We, we had a good relationship with the church. We had a great relationship with the pastor. And it was just going gangbusters. Like, it was awesome. We loved it. And um, so one day, I came to work, and my pastor called me into his office. And he said, uh, hey, Cal, I need to talk. Okay, let's talk. He said, listen, um, I think that you're done here. <laughs> What? Uh, what do you mean I'm done here? He says, I just, I just think it's time for you to move on. And I'm like, what? Why? You know, like, I don't, what happened? Did I do something? Did I, I didn't know. I'm, as every youth pastor, I was like the, the resident IT guy. And I was the, uh, the youth pastor dealing with kids and their, teen, and their families. We had like 80 teenagers and we had like, it was good. We were successful. I didn't know what was going on. And he said, I just, I just think it's time. And I was like, I don't, I don't understand. I was broken, to be honest. I was broken. Surprised me. Out of left field. Didn't know. And I was like, I'm being fired. I'd never been fired. That had never happened to me. I think I'm pretty good with people. I thought I was indispensable, honestly. Um, found out nobody is. <clears throat> that's, <laughs> that's when I found out. My dad said the, uh, the funeral, the uh, Cemetery is full of people the world couldn't live without. <laughs> so I <laughs> took that to, to heart. So anyway, uh, here's what he said. He said, you're not being fired. You just can't work here anymore. I don't know. 
<clears throat> didn't make much sense to me. Uh, Morgan was two at the time, brokenhearted. I went home and, and told Teresa. And I got to be honest, my heart was broken. I felt a terrible injustice had happened in my life. I was devastated. I, I don't know if there's enough language... Uh, enough words in the English language to describe to you what was going on in my heart. Like I was broken. And now here I had just a, a few weeks to find I had a baby and, and our two-year-old and, and a wife. And uh, we had set up our place of living in St. Louis and we had a house. And we had, now I've got just a few weeks to find a whole new, like rebuild my life. It was, it was crazy. So this injustice that I felt, um, I got to tell you, I was horribly offended. I was angry. I was in my mind, all kinds of bad things, you know? Um, now, I didn't leave poorly, just if you're wondering. I, I didn't badmouth the pastor. I didn't, like, I, I didn't. But I wanted everybody to feel the injustice that I had endured, if you will. I wanted them to, to come to my side and be like, this, this is an injustice to you. I, I wanted everybody to be offended for me. And I think we have that feeling in our lives sometimes. We want people to be offended for us. Now, I'll say that I have since I am happy with my life and how it's turned out. I wouldn't be here today if that hadn't happened. So that's when you also look back and with the perspective of time, I understand that God works all things for the good. Remember that in your life. When something devastating happens, when something horrible, when you suffer an injustice yourself, God always has it in hand. And I'm, I'm happy with everything. So don't, don't get me wrong. I was not an angry person running around. I became a, pa a, a senior pastor after that. I thought, listen, I'm going to be my own boss now. <clears throat> and then I found out I have to work with the church board, and that's a whole other story. So, <laughs> so um, I think about our self-righteous, self-important, uh, self skewed version of justice. A friend, a missionary friend of mine named Danny, he asked me, Cal, what do people in America pray for? What is it that they pray for? Because when you're hungry, you go to the pantry and you get food. When you're uh, tired, you go to your bed and you lay down. When, you're, uh, when it's raining outside, you go to your house under a roof. Like, so what is it that you guys pray for over there? <laughs> I said, oh, that's a good question. We're offended. We pray for that. <laughs> no matter the injustice, the big question is, here's the question. Aren't we supposed to be angry at injustice. And that's a question for us today. And I think very, very important in today's climate. Aren't we supposed to be angry at injustice? Because everybody today is suffering an injustice. And I'm going to say, and we'll get to the bottom. Don't turn me off now, but I'm going to say no. I don't believe that we're supposed to be angry at injustice. And, and let's go through this so you'll understand where I'm coming from. Here's the first. A stand or a stand. Are we taking a stand or a stand? You know, I have to say that once we started talking about being offended about injustice, uh, excuse me, not being offended at injustice, it, it just feels strange. After all, it's, it's, it seems like it's against natural uh, tenets. It, it's, it's not natural. It's counterintuitive. It, it violates conventional wisdom, right? We're told if there's an injustice, get angry about it. Go do something about it. 
But as unnatural as it is to not be angry about injustice, it's also unnatural to love your enemy. God didn't call us and say, hey, listen, follow me and everything's going to make perfect sense. Sometimes things happen that make no sense, but God takes those and uses those to help. Let's face it, our society, in our society, anger and action go hand in hand. Wouldn't you agree? It just seems like they do. We can't imagine doing one without having the other. I mean, just look at Twitter and Facebook sometime, if you're brave enough. I don't see it as much on Instagram. I bet it's there. You see anger all over the place. People are mad about this or that, and they have to take a stand about this thing, right? I mean, you've seen that. Now, speaking your mind is something you have the right to do. And I don't think that should ever be taken away. You should be able to speak your mind. But as Christians, what mind are you speaking? As people who follow Jesus, what is it that you're saying? And here's something I bet you didn't know about anger and action. There's a, a recent study, and it found that people who are for a cause online are not more likely to do something about it. In fact, they are less likely. Did you know that? According to the research done at the University of the British, of, uh, British Columbia, the people who click like or help the poor children of wherever are actually less likely to help the poor children of wherever. It's crazy, right? You, you wouldn't think that's the truth. Here's the, that's the case. Here's the point. We're in love with taking a stand that cost us nothing. It's super easy to click on like, help the poor children of wherever. But it's hard to do something to help the poor children of wherever. So we, when we say we're going to take a stand, we, we think we've got to get involved and do something. And, and if we're angry, we say my anger is a righteous anger. And since it's a righteous anger, it stands to reason that we're actually more righteous than the people who aren't angry. It's a righteous reason. And now that it's a righteous reason, I have, and I step into being angry, my anger becomes righteous anger in my mind. I justify it. Oh, it's a righteous anger. You guys have been there. It's a righteous anger. They're not angry. Oh man, I'm more righteous than they are. They're not righteous. They're not mad at all. I am mad. This is righteous. The myth of righteous anger keeps us from taking action because we get caught up in congratulating ourselves for how righteously angry we, angry we are. <laughs> we don't take action because we're like, man, look, I'm so proud of myself. I'm so good. I'm righteously angry about this thing. More righteous than them. They're not nearly as angry as I am. On the flip side, there's someone who didn't get the bumper sticker, someone who didn't click like, who's actually giving their time and their treasure to help the poor children of wherever. They're doing something. What they're finding is that uh, the people who are the most indignant in a protest of injustice are the least likely to give up any of their own comfort or safety or money or resources to do anything about it. It's crazy, right? 
That's what the research shows us. So the most angry person on Facebook has done nothing, probably. It's hard. And because you can drop a bomb all day long. Twitter, some of these mean tweets that we see, they're crazy. Just drop a bomb. Boom. Done. You gonna do something? No, I did it. I did it. It's good. It's out there. It's righteous. (laughs) The Bible tells us plenty of times to act and never does it say out of anger. And here's the scripture. 1 Corinthians 13. We all know it. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Acting out of love to show mercy to correct injustices, to set things right is beautiful when we're doing it out of love. Love should be motivation enough to do the right thing. Love should be the motivation that propels us to righteousness and seeking injustices to be wronged. And we're not talking about a fuzzy abstraction type of love. We're talking about a love that actually seeks the well-being of others. And that's why that love causes us to step into doing something rather than just saying something. The next thing is justified anger. So we have righteous anger is justified anger. So does anger help? That's the question. Does anger help? When I was playing football... (laughs) When I was playing football, if you could get angry before a game, it seemed to help. I don't know. You guys ever, or if you've been involved in any kind of athletic event or competition, it, it, not a thinking competition because that anger is going to mess you up. But, you know, we're going to do something and I'm going to play football or uh, you see it all the the time with fighters before they do MMA or or boxing. Like, if you get angry, it's going to help me. It's going to give me some extra oomph and some some power. So what we do is we kind of take that mentality and we move it into all the things of our lives. As I'm going through this, by the way, I forgot to mention, as always, the notes for today's message are in the app. The church's app. Get the church's app. There's going to be more scripture that's there that uh, are not on the screen today. So we carry that mindset to every area of our lives. And we think anger can bring about good things, right? And maybe that's true. Maybe anger can bring about good things. But let's talk about gluttony. Gluttony provides jobs for people, doesn't it? That doesn't mean gluttony isn't disordered. It's just that we can see how in the short term, something like gluttony can provide, can be good things because it provides jobs for people. Because if you're a glutton, you need to buy extra food, right? Just because something good comes out of it doesn't make it righteous. So, Anger isn't really righteous anger or even justified. Our relationship with God cannot be broken down into a checklist of things to do and not to do. Things that can help us accomplish the next item on our list. Why we do what we do matters. 
What's the reason behind it? What's the motivation for it? 1 Corinthians 13, 3. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. As you're you're thinking everyone like this, circular reasoning, is my anger justified? If yes, then it's justifiable anger. (laughs) Have you ever done that? When I wasn't fired, (laughs) I felt like my anger was justified. I really did. Because I I was upset for a justified reason. Oh, so it's justifiable anger. (laughs) Then we look at the scripture that we read last week where God got angry because you remember, so the the unmerciful servant went to the king and said, hey, I need a break here. I can't pay you right now. And the king says, okay. And then the king finds out that the unmerciful servant was not having mercy against somebody else, a fellow servant that owed him money. So the king got angry about it. You remember that? And he put him and said, let him be tortured until he pays. The king got angry. So we say, oh, well, if the king gets angry, That must be justified for me. But understand this. The king's anger does not give you a reason to be angry. You can't say because God gets angry, I can get angry. Can you see how that's wrong? We cannot associate ourselves to think that we can do what God can do. God is God. That doesn't give us the right. He got angry so I can get angry. No. (laughs) Not at all. When we justify our right to anger, we're confusing ourselves with God. And that's a dangerous place to be. Think about the early Christians. Just think about them for a minute. If you read through Acts, especially Acts, and all of the things that they were persecuted. Read some history books. The rise of Christianity uh, is is another. It's amazing. But the, the things that they were persecuted in, it was crazy what happened to them. I mean, they were killed and and. More than that, like uh, covered with tar and set on stakes and lit on fire. Like crazy things happened to them. If you read what their leaders were telling them, what did their leaders say? Get rid of anger. It didn't say, oh yeah, your brother was, was killed yesterday, so get angry about it. No. They were admonished to get rid of anger. Not to hold on to anger. And another thing, if righteous anger is good... Why isn't it ever listed in a list of things that is part of the Spirit-filled life? Blessed are those who are angry because it's righteous. It's not there. Never, ever, ever in any scripture does it say anger is a good thing. It just doesn't. Instead, we get this. Colossians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So fruits of the Spirit. That's what a Spirit-filled life is. No anger. But this is what we get in uh, Colossians 3.8. But now, you must put these things away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. We're not said get righteously angry. We're said take anger and get rid of it. Dallas Willard says this. You guys know Dallas Willard? Oh, Read some Dallas Willard. Stepping out of anger means you are surrendering your will to God. It means you have accepted that you don't have to have your way. (laughs) Wow. We might also look at the stories of people in the Bible and think we can be angry because they got angry. 
Listen, the story of Moses isn't a how-to story. It's a story that points to the goodness of God. Moses was still a person. He was still human. He made mistakes. Don't look at Moses and think, this is how you do it. Mm -mm. And Moses started off by killing somebody. <laughs> like, that's not right. But it does point to the goodness of God. Here's the last one. We need to be motivated by love. During the famous um, bus boycott in Montgomery, Alabama in 1955, um, King was accused of various things and they said that there was a lack of settlement in the boycott and it was his fault. And here's what he wrote after that. That Monday I went home with a heavy heart. I was weighed down by a terrible sense of guilt, remembering that on two or three occasions I had allowed myself to become angry and, and indignant. I had spoken hastily and resentfully, yet I knew that this was no way to solve a problem. You must not harbor anger, I admonished myself. You must be willing to suffer the anger of the opponent, of the opponent and yet not return anger. Listen, if anybody could have a righteous anger, it was him, right? But motivation matters. If one were to ask, how can we fight injustice without anger? Our answer should be, we fight it with love. That should be our motivation. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he's another one. You guys know Bonhoeffer? Man. Read, he, he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. Gave his life, eventually. And he said this, Jesus will not accept the common distinction between righteous indignation and unjustifiable anger. The disciple must, entirely, must be entirely innocent of anger because anger is an offense against both God and his neighbor. For the Christian, motivation matters. Action doesn't need to be born out of anger. So now do you understand where I'm going with this? It's not that we shouldn't act. It's not that we should see injustice and do nothing. It's that we should see injustice and do something. Absolutely do something. But what motivates you? It's very easy to be angry. And I'm not using Bonhoeffer and uh, Dallas Willard as scripture because we have it in the scripture already. Don't do it. But you have two people who were leaders of the Christian faith who also are saying, don't be angry. Our motivation should be love. Love should be the most, it is the most powerful motivator in the world. Love is what caused God to send his son Jesus to die on the cross. Love is what caused Jesus to allow himself to be crucified. Love is what causes a mother to give her life for her child. Love is what causes a man to sacrifice himself for his family. Love is a powerful motivator. We don't have to be angry to do something. We should be filled with love. Feeling powerless is excruciating, isn't it? <laughs> it feels like that's kind of what I'm saying, but however the world says we should act, we shouldn't act that way. We want justice and we want it now. 
if we can't get it, at least we feel good about the anger we're holding about the injustice. That's kind of some of our logic. What about the Bible? What does the Bible say to do? How does the Bible say to handle this? And this is where the Bible app will come in handy for you. I mean, the, the church's app to look at the scripture. I think it's something that's truly revolutionary, what the Bible says, and it's completely at odds with our culture. And that is to wait. <laughs> it's so hard. I'm full of books today. Another book you should read is Waiting on God by Andrew Murray. Awesome. Psalm 27, 14. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalm 37, 9. For evil, evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Psalm 37, 34. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land when the wicked are cut off, and uh, you shall see it. Proverbs 20, 22. Do not say, I will recompense evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will save you. These are just a few. The Bible is full of of scriptures that tells us to wait. Wait. Makes no sense to us now. But then again, God says, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. We can find peace by waiting on God. And I, again, I'm not saying to wait and do nothing. Waiting in this sense is finding yourself centered on God, finding yourself in his presence, waiting. It's not waiting and not doing something. It's waiting in God. Understand that. And then God's gonna direct you He's gonna fill you with love. He's gonna give you the, the best way to move forward, the best course to fix whatever injustice. Our anger is not a sign of trust in God. In fact, it's the opposite. We worry that someone is going to get away with something. That's our worry. Like God isn't noticing the injustice. As I've gotten involved with, uh, we, with Rescue Hill and some of the human trafficking things that go on, I gotta tell you, I'm looking and I'm saying, God, don't you see the injustice that's happening? God, we need you. God, it makes you wanna get angry. But be careful with your anger. Why do we have to be angry to seek justice? We don't. Can't we just want to see justice in the world? <laughs> Micah 6 8 says this He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Today's title to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. So let's work for justice and mercy. And while we're at it, trust God. Can we do that? Who, by the way, loves justice and mercy more than you ever will. And we went through justice before too. He will ultimately set things right. Choosing to be unoffendable is not, does not mean that we accept injustice. It means 
actively seeking justice and loving mercy while walking humbly with God. Does that make sense? Actively seeking justice and loving mercy while walking humbly with God. So today as we get ready to close, I just want to ask you, can you ask God to help you seek justice and be motivated by love? Seek justice and be motivated by love. Not by anger, not by hate. You'll get so much further if your motivation is love. And honestly, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, then his love is going to fill us and cause us to act. It just will. And remember, loving is seeking others' well-being. That kind of love. Not a, I love you, and then on with your life. It's, I love you, so that causes me to want to give my time. I love you, that causes me to want to give my resource. I love you, that causes me to want to help. So, man, let's make that our our goal this week. Can we seek justice, but do it out of love? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning, for what you've done for us. We thank you for being with us. God, I just ask this morning that you would truly show us how much you love us and then that we might become conduits of that love so that love takes away all anger. So that love is what fills us with your uh, love so that the anger has no place in our lives. And then that love causes us to move to action. That's my hope for all of us. Wouldn't it be awesome if we were a church known for pursuing justice motivated by love? (laughs) So help us with that, God. And help us be the people you've called us to be. Help us to be unoffendable. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.